thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. The book of James, it's very interesting about it, is that it will, it will make you squirm a little bit. It'll make you feel a little uncomfortable. And this is actually why I named this, uh, this series, or we named the series, A Line in the Sand. Because you don't have to wonder what James is thinking. It's very obvious what James is thinking. You don't have to wonder, well, did he really mean this? Or maybe he meant the opposite of what he actually said. That's what I'm hoping for. You don't have to worry about that. You know exactly what James was saying and why he was saying it. And this book is incredibly practical. It's probably one of the most practical books in the Bible. And that's why we're going to take it and we're going to walk it out and we're going to apply it to our lives week after week after week. But there are everyday issues in the book of James, like controlling your tongue. Anyone ever struggles controlling your tongue? Never, <laughs> never. Actually, you just lied. You need to control your tongue. He speaks to us about having faith, drawing near to God, how to work out your faith. If you have faith, what does your faith look like? Talks about taking care of widows, taking care of orphans, what to do with your finances, how to deal with favoritism, not just to hear the word, but to do the word in your life. This book is loaded. And it's going to be a great summer as we walk this whole summer out with the book of James. I just want to give you a little context of the book of James as this is our first um, message of the series. And we kind of got to lay some groundwork a little bit. This is not the disciple that we read about in the Gospels, James. I don't know if you know that or not, but this is not the disciple that we read about that walked around with Jesus. James... This, the guy who wrote this book did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, which we read about in 1 Corinthians. But here's the other kicker. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And here, here's, it's important that, that you understand half-brother. In other words, they had the same mother, Mary, but they absolutely had different fathers. Some of you are like, what is going on here? I never thought about this. This is, <laughs> what scandal is Jason talking about? Jesus had God as his father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, which is very important, which means he could be fully man and fully God. James had Joseph as his father, but they grew up in the same household. After Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had other children. And you can read about that in Scripture. And James was the younger brother of Jesus. They grew up in the same household. And I can understand why James did not come to believe in Jesus as the, the, you know, the Savior of the world until after Jesus' resurrection. Because can you imagine trying to convince one of your siblings that you are the God of the universe? You may have tried, but I guarantee you it didn't work. But imagine them playing together, running around together like brothers do. But it's interesting when James, as he's writing this book, he's pastoring the church in Jerusalem. When the beginning, the church in the beginning was actually was made up of all Jews. They were worshiping together. And he was writing this book also to Jews that, that were in the world who, who were following Jesus. And so what's very cool, what I like about this, he doesn't call himself the half-brother of Jesus or the brother of Jesus. He calls himself the, the, sorry, he calls himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's very, very powerful because this was his chance. If he wanted to write a book, if he wanted some credibility, this was his chance to name drop. But he doesn't do it. Have you ever known people who just name drop? Somehow you're talking about something and they happen, they happen to drop a name in there that has nothing to do with what you're talking about, but they just wanted you to know that they met that person. You just kind of bend down and say, excuse me, you dropped your name here. You should take it back. <laughs> this was his chance. Remember, he's writing to the church. The church was established because they believed in Jesus. This was his chance to give credibility to his ministry, and he doesn't do it. He could have said, hey, you know, he could be preaching or writing and say, you know, when Jesus and I were hanging out as kids and people said, well, you knew Jesus when he was like, yeah, he was my brother. But he doesn't do it. When he writes to these people, he says this, I am a servant, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this point, he realized that his brother Jesus was not just any half-brother, that he was the Lord of the universe, and he was giving his life to him 100%. For me, when I read this book, it's like, it's like James is, is in a 12-round fight, and he comes out, but he's only got five rounds to get the job done. There's five chapters in this book. And as we get into the, the book of James, he comes out of the corner swinging some big, big, big punches. He doesn't mess around. He, does, he doesn't play any games. He doesn't give any sweet little greetings. He comes out with a, with an, a, a haymaker and an uppercut. And that's what we're going to walk through over the next several weeks. And his intro is quick, and he comes out swinging. And James comes out of the corner and starts dealing with two things that we're going to deal with today. He deals with trials, and he's dealing with temptations. Two topics that hit every one of us in this room or everyone listening online or everyone in the body of Christ. We all face these two things, trials and temptations. How many here would say you are in some sort of trial somewhere in your life you're, you're in right now? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, we're in good company because that's a lot of us here. Now, how many here would say that you're sitting next to your trial? Just, no, don't do that. I'm just. <laughs> that would make your trial worse, I promise you. Don't do that. <laughs> anyway, let's look at James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And then he goes straight in. Consider it pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Very, very interesting. He says, hi, I'm James, and consider it pure joy when you are in pain. It seems crazy. So James opens up. He starts speaking to the trials in our lives. Trials are different than temptations. Trials are what happens in life that you can learn something from. Trials are something that happens on the external side of you or causing something to happen on the internal side of you. But the reality is they have the potential to teach us something. They have the potential to mature you and they have the potential to grow us up. And this is what James is talking about. Now here on the other side, temptations are not from God, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. God does not tempt us. You might think, I wish God would stop tempting me. He's not. But God will allow trials in your life to grow you up. Everyone say, yay. Just wait till we get into this. You'll be saying, hey, Jason. But you know, we can be the same way. 
If you're a parent, if you have children, sometimes you have to let your children learn the hard way. Isn't that right, Paul? Sometimes you, you just got to let them. You just got to let them work it out. You just got to let them bump their heads a couple times. You, you got to withhold yourself to not step in and do everything for them and to make sure they don't make any mistakes. You got to make sure you, you, they got to get up and go to school. You got to go to school whether you want to or not. It's in the trials that parents can see the value and the lessons it will teach them. And it will help your children grow up and be mature. Because it's very important that you raise your children and that one day they're going to be able to pay their own bills. Amen? The greatest thing is you, is that you can do as a parent is raise your children in a way that when they grow up, they can balance their own paycheck and they can, or in their own checkbook and they can pay their own bills. And when they're 37, you're not still balancing their checkbook for them. It's okay for your kids to be tested. And you cannot go to school without tests. Tests challenge you. Tests stretch you. They reveal what's actually inside of you. They show actually what you know about the material. They show you if you need to redo the material or you can move on to the next lesson. That's what trials and tests do. And here's the reality of this wonderful, incredible, loving father that we serve. God is more concerned for your character than he is for your comfort. He's more interested in your holiness than your happiness. He wants you to grow. Why? Because he's a good father. He's a good father that wants you to become everything that he wants you to become. Proverbs 7, 17, 3 says this, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. It's interesting when within the same sentence, the writer of this talks about the testing of silver and gold and the testing of the heart. Does anyone know what it takes to test the purity of silver and gold? Heat, fire, Everyone say yay. As you heat up silver and gold, what happens is the impurities rise to the surface. And the goldsmith or the silversmith keeps turning the heat up. And at every level of different heat, it exposes different, different impurities in the silver or in the gold. And as the impurities rise to the surface, the, the smith, he will take and scrape off the impurities from the top. They come to the surface, scrapes them up, turns up the heat. Impurities come to the surface, he scrapes them off. I heard a long time ago that when a goldsmith or silversmith, when he knows the silver or the gold is pure enough, he can look into the pot or the container and he can see his reflection. And so here we have the Lord testing the hearts. What's he doing? In the same way. God is testing us. He's not doing it to be cruel. He's not doing it just because he, he can. He's doing it to purify our hearts so that we can be made into the image of Jesus Christ. That when he looks into our hearts, he can see the reflection of his son Jesus. And he does this through trials. So how do we deal with these trials? How do we deal with them? I told you James comes out of the corner swinging big. And it's quiet in here. So how does he do this? 
How do we handle this? The first thing about trials is we need to recognize what is really going on. When we go through the trials, there are a, lot, we are, a lot of us in this room represent a lot of trials, a lot of pain, a lot of things that we're struggling with. We need to leverage this as an opportunity. So many times we can be distracted by the problem. We miss the lesson that is to be learned in this. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops. Everyone say develops. Develops perseverance. All trials in your life can, can be used for your development for you developing perseverance, for you developing patience, so that as you begin, you begin to get stronger, you begin to be able to show resistance to, to trials in your life, that no matter what storm you are in, your face, you can lean into it, and nothing's going to get you. That's what Jesus wants. All parents want to raise their children that they can grow up and be responsible in the midst of a trial and tribulation. They, they are anchored, their roots go deep, and they can face things, and they can face them head on. You ask yourself this, what allows you later on in your years to be able to face trials and things like that? It's because you have been through trials. So that we do this, so that when you go through something, you're able to respond to the situation instead of reacting to the situation. Do you notice the difference? You respond to the situation. It's, a, it's, a, it's an offense. When a, when a situation happens, you respond to it. Controlled, concise, you know what's going on. When you react to something, you, you're out of control. You, the situation is in control. You are not in control. And so these tests develop perseverance in us so that we can respond to trials, not react to them. One of the greatest opportunities for growth is by being in a family, by being in a church family. Because we have to rub each other. Things happen. You, you are in a real family, a biological family in your own home. And if you can live with some of the crazy people in your family, you can overcome anything in your life. And you're part of the crazy. It can help you learn patience. It's just the reality of what it does. You learn, you know what, it's not all about me. I'm not always going to get what I always want. That's what family teaches us. And many times we're, we're asking God to get us out of something that he is using to develop strength and perseverance in our hearts. This is what James is saying. We're like, oh, God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. And he's like, but this is your opportunity to grow up, to be mature, to learn how to deal with this. So instead of running from God or running from God's growth process, we need to, number two, we need to cooperate with God's growth process. God has a responsibility as a father. He loves you. And he wants to develop strength in you. He is a good father. It's kind of like your child who... 
Some days willingly gets up and goes to school. Some days, like any good parent does, you got to jerk the covers off of your kid. Turn the light on. Spray a little water on them. <laughs> Do whatever it takes to get them up and off to learn to teach them what? To teach them discipline and to teach them a good work ethic. God, you need to understand, God is not our divine slot machine in the sky that we could just put in prayer coins and then just pull it, pull it, chink, chink, and just, all right, God, here we go. He will not allow us to be lazy and to be weak and to be undeveloped. He loves you and wants you to succeed and he wants you to develop so that you can have what is necessary so that you can become everything that you actually want to be. That you can become everything that God wants you to be. Listen, don't get upset with me. It's James. I, I, James is the one. Darn it, James. James goes on, the, verse 4, he says this, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Everyone say mature and complete. Not lacking anything. I mean, what a loaded sentence, James, is perseverance. And how is perseverance created? Trials. Perseverance in trials must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not, not lacking anything. This, this seems like a really difficult verse, but if you look at it, this is really what you and I have all prayed for. Lord, I want to be mature. Lord, I want to be complete. Lord, I, I, I don't want to lack anything. God, I want all that you have for me. God, take my life and use it however you want. Lord, ring my life out on this earth till the last drop hits it, that I can stand before you and say, God, I allowed you to do everything that you wanted to do in my life. I did it in my workplace, in my family, whatever. God, use me. I want to make a difference. We want to be mature. No one would say, I want to stay, I want to stay immature and I want to stay incomplete. And I want to have a bunch of lacks in my life. Nobody would say that. But there's a key. And here's the reality. Some of your trials that you're going through today are the very answers to your own prayers to be mature, to be complete, and to lack nothing. It's kind of like um, a successful businessman was interviewed one time and and someone asked him, sir, how do you become successful? He said two words, good decisions. Okay, well, I, they asked him, how do you make good decisions? He said one word, experience. I said, okay, how, how do you get experience? He said two words, bad decisions. <laughs> something about trials and pain that grows us up. It's just reality. There is a price to succeeding. I mean, this topic is avoided a lot in church because a lot of pastors don't like the Family Worship Center to be quiet through the whole message. <laughs> it's, it's not a popular subject. But most churches, I don't want to say a lot of churches, will just tell you that the Christian life is about being it's just about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll never go through 
difficulties that God's great and you're great and you look good and your mama looks good and you feel good. And, and it can feel like that that version of Christianity is that Jesus saved you to make a better version of you. But here's the reality. I know me. I don't want to be a better version of me. Do you? I want a brand new life. I want something to change. I want the the Lord Jesus Christ to be the commander in chief of my life. When he says jump, I say how high. He doesn't ask me what to do. I ask him what to do. I don't want a better, I need to die. I need to carry my cross daily. I need need to no longer live the life that I I used to live. I need to be a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is about. Does God want you to be blessed? Absolutely he does. But the reality is the Bible has many verses about suffering. Everyone say amen. I'm getting feedback because I'm, I'm trying to keep you with me here. There's many verses about suffering. Romans chapter 5 says this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. There's this word again. James says, count it all joy when you go through trials. Paul says, rejoice in your suffering. These guys are crazy. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's that word again. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Then Peter says this. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. Why? So that your faith of greater worth than gold. I want you to see that for a moment. Your faith. Greater worth than gold. Christianity is not about putting gold in your pocket. It's about your faith becoming strong so you can overcome anything in your life. And this faith, or gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That your faith is purified and refined by fire, by trials. It could be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is developing. James is talking to, this, to the church. God is developing things inside of you that we need to cooperate with that process. The best thing, the best things that came from Cheryl and I's life came out of the darkest times of our life. The times when Cheryl and I had $200 to pay for $800 worth of bills. That just doesn't work. It was a moment that we made a decision to follow God in a a leading we we felt was, was his leading and couldn't pay the bills. So her and I were cleaning houses together, vacuuming floors, scrubbing toilets. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you, if you in your expectation think you're going to do this and you're doing this, you just think, God, what's going on? Many days I remember having worship music on and cleaning someone else's house and my wife. Tears running down my face. Think, God, where did I miss you? 
this is not what I had in mind. Thank you. Maybe I miss God's voice and I miss God's voice because we're going through tough times. Asking myself, what did I do wrong? Why would God allow this? Things are being exposed in my heart of my ego and my pride that I didn't know were there. And what's interesting about trials is that everyone blames the trials for their attitude. Everyone blames the trials for their doubt, for their fear. And they, and they use the trial to justify all the poison coming out of their own hearts. I want you to hear this. Trials do not cause bad attitudes. They do not cause your doubt. They do not cause your fear. Trials bring to the surface that which is already inside of you. Everyone say, ouch. That's reality. Being refined by the fire. I'll never forget struggling so much with not being the provider that I thought I should be. And this is why it matters who you marry. You better marry somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. Because <laughs> you, you're going to struggle. <laughs> but I never forget feeling like a failure because I couldn't provide for my family. and couldn't, I wasn't able to give my kids what I wanted. And I remember sitting down with my wife and I was apologizing for my, you know, my baby. I, I thought, I, I thought we, this was the right way. I thought God would meet us here and I'm so sorry I'm not doing this. I'm so sorry I'm not, I'm not providing and all these things. And she stopped me and she looked me straight in the eye and she said this. She says, you are not my provider. God is. So stop apologizing. These times that Cheryl and I went through and, and will continue to go through, being refined by the fire, whatever they may be, internal struggles, situations you're dealing with, unforeseen circumstances, trials. Man, I'm telling you, if I could have found an eject button, I would have hit that sucker in a minute. But God didn't give me an eject button. But it was in this process that God began to purify my heart. He began to purify my motives. And God will do the same for you. And it's in our suffering that my family and I begin to feel peace. And we submitted to whatever God is doing. God, whatever you want to do with me. If this is it, then I submit to you. And we discovered actually who this God was. And we discovered actually who we were and who, who we were not. It's in the midst of those trials that one day I, I just was surrendering to God and laying on my face and crying out to God. That out of my broken heart, out of my humbled heart by the trials and out of, out of the, the things that God had shown me in my own life, I said these words of Job with absolute sincerity. And I believe they were birthed from the Holy Spirit inside of me. And I remember when I prayed them, I said, I said, God, though you slay me, I will still trust you. It's the strangest thing how suffering and to know suffering, that you can be in the midst of suffering and know you are right where God wants you at the same time. 
It's a strange place. That's not American Christianity, is it? God, give me that eject button. Lord, Father, show me the eject button. I know I'm missing it somewhere. Maybe someone else has the eject button. Because surely you don't want me to go through trials. And we avoid the book of James. (laughs) But it's in these trials that many of you are in today. That we are not to blame God. But according to James, according to Paul, according to Timothy, we need to embrace what God is doing inside of us. That we might become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Don't run from what God is doing in these times. Don't run from him. Run to God and cooperate with his growth process. And in the midst of this, in the midst of our trials, while we're cooperating, we need to really just ask God for help, which is number three. In our trial, it's crazy that we'll try everything else before we actually ask God for his help. In the midst of our trial, we, we don't know what to do, and we need wisdom, and our emotions are all over the place. And this is part of the, the fire. We don't know how to proceed. We don't know what decisions to make. We, we, we don't know how to make them. We, I, we are paralyzed by indecision and because of the pain and the trials. James tells us when you're this way, when you're in the midst of a trial, hang on, my friend. Let me tell you what to do. James 1.5, he says, As if any of, any of you lack wisdom, lacks knowledge, lacks, when you don't know what to do, He or she should ask God who gives what generously to all without finding fault. It's in this moment that you cry out to God and you realize you you have doubts and fears and you don't know what's going on. But it will be given to him out of your submission to him to say, Lord, I need wisdom. Will you help me? Notice that James doesn't say if you are facing a trial, ask God to get you out of it. He says, ask God for wisdom in the midst of it. Ask God that, God, what should I be learning right now? Because I don't want to have to learn this again. (laughs) Help me, God. God, give me the wisdom to handle this situation. Help me to be patient. Help me to trust you. Help me to, to go deeper in my relationship with you. But it's important also to know that as you're asking God, James also makes it clear that you need to keep a good attitude as well. James 6 through 7 out of chapter 1 says this, but when he asks, in other words, when you're asking for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. It's very interesting that he must believe and not doubt. So if you're asking for wisdom in the midst of your trial, you must believe that, God, you can give me wisdom in the midst of this trial. I think so many times we miss out on the wisdom that God wants wants, wants to give you because we're too busy asking him to get us out of this trial. There's nothing wrong with praying, God, deliver me from this. God, help me from this. But also, you need to ask the question, Lord, help me to learn what I need to learn in the midst of this. Keep a good attitude. There were times in our journey that things didn't look like they were going to work out. But James says here we should determine our hearts, no matter how grim things look, 
no matter what we're going through, that we're going to trust God and keep pressing on. And this develops in us. When you make the determination, Lord, no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to keep, I'm not going to doubt you. I'm not going to start blaming you. I'm not going to, I'm going to just keep trusting you. When you do this, it develops in us not a I can do attitude, which is the American way. It develops in us a God can do no matter what I'm facing. Remember, Jesus says that you can do nothing without him. We need to know this, that God is the one who's going to do it. God's the one who's going to break through. That God, you can do it. My job is to stay true to you and to fix my eyes on you. If something today that you're going through seems hopeless, which is very, very true, seems dead, it seems dying, seems like you're in a dead end, seems like it doesn't matter. No matter what we do, it just never works out. Let's make the determination, no matter what I see, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe that God will give me wisdom. I'm going to believe that God's going to use this for my good. I'm going to believe in the midst of this that my God is exceedingly, abundantly going to bless me. He's going to to do things in me far above anything that I could ask or I could think because he is God and he sits on the throne and I do not. How many are thankful for that? But in the midst of praying for God to break through, you need to remember that the whole of the Bible speaks that God wants to work perseverance in you. If God answered all of our prayers immediately, we would never develop anything in our lives. We just wouldn't. Now look. And what James says happened when we trust God in our trials. When we stay in, in the game. When we... When, when we stop doubting God, why would God let this happen? And we shake our fists at God and we let our emotions to get to just all cross with God. And we, we get this chip on our shoulder towards God. James says, if, if you don't do that, if you will stay true, if you will not doubt, if you will persevere, He says, blessed is that man who perseveres under trial. Because when he or she has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. The crown of life that God's promised to those who love him. Then with his next breath, after dealing with trials, after telling the church how to deal with trials, he goes into temptations. And he starts talking about temptations. And something's important. Temptations are not from God. The best way to describe temptation is like any of you fisher fisher people out there, fisherman, fisherwoman, people out there, you go fishing, you get a lure, lure, you you set it out there, you, you work it, you jig it, you do what it takes to get the fish's attention. It looks good. And that's what the enemy does. It's a temptation. It looks good. It looks good right in front of your face. It's just right. But here's the deal. It has a hook in it. And temptations are given by the enemy to make you think it will satisfy you. To make you think that's actually what you want. But really, they're given to hook you and to drag you away from God's best for your life and from a relationship with God. So how do we handle these temptations? First one is this. We recognize the source of the temptation. Temptations come from the enemy. 
And the temptations come from the desires of your flesh. The devil, no matter how much you want it to be true, the devil did not make you do it. He gives you the opportunity. He lays the lure out in front of you. But he did not make you sin. But he sure did make it look good. James says this. When you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Some of you need to hear this. You've been struggling with temptation and you just keep blaming God. God, why are you doing this? Why are you tempting me? Why? It's not God. It never has been and it never will be. It's not God. And notice here it says, it doesn't say if we are tempted. It says what? When we are tempted. So it means every single one of us in this room, watching online, and in the body of Christ, we're going to be tempted. Every single one of us. We're going to experience temptation. Now, you won't bite on all of the lures that are sent your way, but you'll, you might bite on a couple of them. And the enemy knows the ones that are going to get you. And he will make it look so promising, but the moment you bite it, it will fill you with poison. And he will begin to drag you away. Second thing, how do we deal with temptation? Let me ask you, is this helpful this morning? Are you with me this morning? You know I love you. You know I care for you. I want you to be everything that God wants you to be. Listen, I got I to hear this message like eight times throughout the week. You only get it once, so you should feel sorry for me. No, I'm just kidding. Well, so how else do you deal with temptation? Number two is you understand the process of temptation. James gives us the process of temptation. He actually lays it out in this verse 14 and 15. It says, each person, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away. So no, notice how the stages of this. His own, he's tempted. By his own evil desires he's dragged away. He's enticed. And then after, desi after the desire he is, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So there's this stage of temptation to sin. And then, then sin, and when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. I want to share with you five stages of temptations that I saw from a, another pastor. And I think they were going to be very, very helpful to you. Because here's the deal. James lays out the strategies of the enemy. He lays them out. And we want to expose the strategies of the enemy so that we can overcome them. The Bible says that we should not be unaware of the devil's schemes. Listen, we're going to expose these things so that we can be people who follow Jesus and we can notice in a moment, wait a minute, that's the devil's scheme. I'm going to overcome that. So we're going to walk through this. James gives us five stages. And the first one is this. You're just simple. You're going to be tempted. That's just the reality of being a follower of Jesus. You're going to be tempted. And you can never get away from this. Temptation does not mean you are far from God. I think it's important for you to understand that people here who, who are dealing with temptation a lot, you think this must mean I'm not spiritual. This must mean I'm, I, I'm far from God. That's not true. Jesus was tempted in all areas that you and I have been tempted. And the, Hebrews 4 says, and he sinned not. He did not sin. And I think if, if, you're, if you're getting tempted a lot, I think you should see it as a compliment. I really do. Because the devil is trying to get you off track because he is intimidated by what God is doing in your life. 
He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to overcome. He doesn't want you to fulfill God's plan for your life. So he's, he's constantly after you. I think the other side is this. If you aren't butting heads with the devil every once in a while, you're probably walking with him. Or you're of no threat to him. So there is temptation. Then it moves to entertaining. So you're tempted. Then you begin to entertain it in your minds. And this is called fantasy. This is where you think of the what ifs. Can we, we just be real this morning? So yes? Are you guys okay being real this morning? Are you scared of being real? Okay, good. So these are the what ifs. What would it be like if I ate it, if I drank it, if I smoked it, if I slept with it, if I watched it, if I did it? Or we think my life would be better if, or it's, I mean, it's really not that bad. Or we rationalize our own sin. And we think, and we say things like this, well, my husband or my wife doesn't satisfy me. So I deserve to at least think about what it would be like if. That's called sin. And this stage of fantasy, and this is what James is talking about. The stage of fantasy, it's, it's, a, it's a physical eye. It's the internal eye that we begin to, we replay things over and over and over again, again in our minds. And what we allow to watch. The internet has been used by, for great things. Even this morning, there, there are hundreds of people who are watching this sermon online and they're live with us. And we're so glad you're here. This is a good thing in the internet. The gospel has gone around the world. It's impacted people. It's, it's an amazing thing. But also the internet is used to make sin very convenient. For us, it's used to have, you know, really, you used to have to work really hard for sin. You, you used to go, have to go out of your way to access it and to get it. Now, now it's available any place, any time on your phone. Wherever you are, it's available to you. You may say, well, no, but no, that's a, I, I, didn't, I didn't really physically touch it. I didn't do it. Yep, it's right there in your hand. And you chose to fantasize about it, and you're being lured away by your eyes. Why is the eye, why, why is that a big deal? I'll tell you why. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If you allow yourself to look at something physical in your eye, then replay it over and over in the fantasy on the inside of your eye. Jesus said this, your whole body will be full of darkness. If you control the eye, then you can win the game. This is why you have to put filters on your internet. Just a little side note here. You have to have accountability. Parents, I, I would just caution you in letting, allowing your kids to have internet access on their phones. It's your job to protect them. It is impossible to unsee some things. And you might think they're, they're, they're going to get frustrated with you. Oh, but I want to I look it up. But then look it up on the computer that's right in the middle of the living room. You just go right for it. It's important to protect your children, protect your home. For men to protect yourself. Have accountability. Have relationships that you, that you can talk to. You can work some of these things out. 
You must protect your eye. Jesus said this, if you look at a woman with lust, what's that fantasy? You have committed adultery. The enemy is after the eye. If you don't stop the fantasy with the eye, if you just continue to entertain it, then it will move to the next stage, which is moving towards sin. And this is you begin to be dragged away. You actually think the grass is greener on the other side. You actually think your life will be better. You actually think you can finally be yourself or you can finally be yourself with somebody else who's not your spouse. So you start messaging someone that isn't your spouse because they really make you feel like yourself. Or you hang out with people on a, on a business trip and you sit way too long in the lobby with the person of the opposite sex that isn't your spouse. And you move towards sin. Scripture tells us how to respond to this type of temptation. Are you ready for it? It says, run. It says, flee. Run, baby, run. Do not give it an inch in your life. Paul says this, and he's writing to the Corinthians church. He says this in 6.18. You can write this down. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee, flee from sexual immorality. That is an act of your will. I am getting the heck out of Dodge. I'm out of here. That's what it means. Don't look twice. Don't think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know it's a big deal. Knock it off and run. Yeah, but I have feelings. Listen, you can get feelings with a donkey kicking you in the stomach too. But that doesn't mean you should let it happen. The Bible says run. And I, and I, I want to help you today because what happens is the enemy, it's one compromise leads to another compromise leads to another compromise. And before you know it, you find yourself, how did this happen? I want you to hear me today. I don't want you to, to move towards sin. I want you to hear the words of James and to hear the words of Paul and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm going forward. And some of you have taken step, steps towards sin and you've been tempted and you've acted it out in your minds and you're moving closer to it and you have a hook in your mouth right now. And you know it's you. I love you. God loves you. And I want you to hear this. You need to run. Don't casually do something about it. But end it today. Stop it today. Get out of it today. Run today. Satan is trying to destroy your life. That's what James is saying. And if you don't do something about it today, you will engage into this next step, which is the act of sin. And if this is you today, I want you to know there's hope. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The godly man may trip seven times, but he will get up again and again and again. God will always give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. Someone, you need to hear this today. You're here and you know that you engaged in sin. I want you to know Jesus is waiting with his arms open wide. He is not judging you, but he sure is convicting you right now. He sure is saying, son, daughter, I want you to come home. I've got forgiveness. Listen, dude, you can leave here today forgiven, set free, a new woman, a new man. Just embrace the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and you can be changed forever. That's for you today. Everyone say amen to that. That's for all of us today. You do, you do not have to leave here the same. 
God doesn't point stuff out so that we can then internalize and have to walk it out on our own. He does it. He wants to set us free. The Bible says you can approach God boldly, if this is you today, to the throne of his mercy. And you can find grace and mercy in your time of need. If this is a need for you, you can run to Jesus. Do not leave discouraged. Make the choice to turn around and change your life. Now, if you don't turn around, according to what James says, if you don't make that decision, there's this last stage that you enter. And that's the stage of death. Sin gives birth to death. Relational death, emotional death, maybe financial death, spiritual death. James is showing us the strategy of the devil. And you and I, we need to recognize, we need to make decisions in our lives to do it God's way and not our way. And that's what James, the whole book of James is about do it God's way, not your way. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man. There's a way. You, you desire it. You want it. It seems right. But in the end, it leads to what? It leads to death. God wants you to live. And I want you to live too. Thirdly, we'll move to these last two very quickly. Learn how to overcome temptation. James goes in to say in verses 16 and 17, he says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadow. When you first read this, you think, well, what does that have to do with temptation? You need to know this is him explaining in the midst when you are tempted, there are good and perfect gifts that can come to you, that can help you in the midst of your temptation. They can be with you in the midst of your temptation. The God isn't changing, but God wants to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. When you're in the midst of temptation, God is something good for you. And God gives us two promises regarding temptation. And I want you to hear this because this is the kicker about this whole temptation thing. And it's Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinthians. He says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. In other words, whatever you're being tempted with, you are not alone. You're not the only one that's had to go through this. You're not the only one that's had to deal with this. So that should be reassuring to us. Because a lot of times the enemy tries to make us think we're the only ones tempted with this. So don't tell anybody because they'll think you're crazy. Paul says, no temptation has, temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And he goes on to say, say this, and God is faithful. Everyone say faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is such a wonderful thing. You will never be tempted beyond what you can handle. A lot of times people use this, this verse out of context about trials Actually, this is not about trials. It's about temptation. God will not, you will not, he will not allow a temptation or the enemy to tempt you to, to a certain point that you can't do anything about it. I mean, here's the other beautiful thing. That God is actively involved while you are being tempted. And he has provided a way out so that you can stand up under any temptation. That is good news. There are simple things that you can do to overcome temptation. One, you can just stay away from some harmful influences. The movies you watch, the books you read, the music you listen to, the things that you allow to entertain you. 
But the other thing you can do is you can develop healthy relationships. You need people in your life who are going to walk this Christian faith out with you, that you are not alone. And I want us to become a strong family here as a church. I don't want us to come. This is important. We come worship. We hear the word together. We're challenged together. And we leave different together. I love that. But what's really important is you have a group of people that you can be a part of. Whether it's once a month, twice a month, four times a month, it doesn't matter. That you're meeting together. And you're on this journey together. And this is something we're committed as a leadership here of strengthening our small groups, strengthening our community that happens outside of these four walls on Sunday with you as a part of this family. Life is difficult. You were never made to walk this life alone. You were never made to walk it alone. You were made to walk it with what's called the body of Christ. You were not made to walk this, your Christian life alone in your biological family. There are some people that say, all, all I need is my husband, my wife, and my, and my three kids, and we don't need the church. That is not even in the Bible. You are a part of the body of Christ, and you need other believers to speak to you, to help you. And to walk you along. Small groups that, that as we're going to be putting more emphasis on them moving forward. They're, they're not so that you can have another Bible study. If you do, that's great. If you learn the Bible, that's great. But you better have people in your life who knows what you're going through. You better have people in your life who can pray for you, who can stand with you when you're hurting. You need those people. I need those people. And the fourth thing and final thing, and how do you deal with temptation? Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. This is the secret to overcoming temptation. This isn't about you fighting temptation and, you know, get your, get, you know, get your temptation swords out and you can fight them. This, this is not what it's about. It's about falling in love with Jesus. James expresses God's love for us. In the middle of him talking to us about temptation, he begins to tell us about God's great love because it's very important. As you start walking through these things, man, they sting you. Like, oh, ah, it feels serious. The room's quiet. And, you know, all these different things. So James kind of, he swings his big punches. But he gets back to his corner. and He begins to tell you how much God loves you. He begins to, to remind you, I'm only telling you this so that you can receive the love of God and not be under the weight of what you're carrying. So James tells these folks in verse 18, he says this, he chose, speaking of God, to give you birth, sorry, to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And who is this? This is Jesus Christ, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He gave his life for us. And we, out of all creation, say all creation, we became his prized possession. You are the apple of God's eye. He loves you. Yeah, but Jason, I, I'm really struggling. Those things you went through, I just, I feel dirty. I feel like I can't. I feel like I'm, I'm short. I feel like I've fallen short. You have. But you still need to know that you are God's prized possession. The most beautiful picture in the Bible is the prodigal son. It wasn't about the son. It was about the father who every day was looking for his son who had rebelled, who had, who had cursed him out and robbed from him and ran off and spent his money in the world. And every day the father would look. Is today the day he's coming back? Is today the day 
that they're going to give their life to me and stop walking under the shame. Why? Yes, but, but the enemy wants you to think God hates you. God's judging you. God's mad at you. According to the Bible, you are God's prized possession. And he loves you with an everlasting love. God gave his son for you. And the more you love Jesus, and the more you realize how much he loves you, sin will just look less appealing. It, it just won't move you anymore. You'll still be tempted, but it'll be less appealing. Jesus says this in John, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey. In other words, this first love me, then obedience will come naturally. You think, no, but Jason, i got to clean my life up. I, got, I can't come to God. I, I'm so dark. I'm such in a deep place. Jesus says, just love me. Love me first. And obedience will come naturally. Here's my last point. Temptation is not a test of your self-control. It is a test of your love for Jesus. God wants us to be strong. And he wants us, many of you are in trials today. He wants to encourage you in the midst of your trials. He wants to hold you in the midst of your storm. Whether it's a marriage, it's financial, it's emotional, it's a false accusation against you. Whatever it is, I don't know. But in the midst of your trial, he's producing perseverance and character. You might be tempted today, and there are, there are good days and bad days with temptation. There are days you overcome, and there are days that you realize, man, I need Jesus. It's important for us to know as a family that we're all walking life together. None of us are free from the reality of life. What I do know, that there is a God in heaven who calls me his own. And that I am his prized possession. And that I will experience his blessings here on the earth, but I will also experience an opportunity to become more like him. And to be refined by the fire of trials. And in my darkest day of temptation, of when I've fallen, I can run to him, to his throne. And in my time of need, receive mercy and receive grace. Amen. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.